0: Ezekiel 47 is where we're gonna be. So um, several months ago at the end of August when every day was about 1,000 degrees here in the city of Nashville, it was just a hot end of the summer. Maybe you, you remember those days where you were just doing anything you could to reconnect with your friends that have swimming pools. You know, you're like, you had talked to them in six months, but you're just calling them, hey, you need help around the house. You know, you just wanna be around people. It was just so hot, couldn't cool down. Kind of during that stretch of the summer our, our family got in this rhythm where every Saturday we'd go to the Harpeth River and we would just float the river together. And so if you've never been to the Harpeth, I highly recommend it. If you're like us, if you can't afford a kayak or a canoe, the next best thing to do is to get a cheap inner tube, fill it up and just float down the river. And so three or four Saturdays in a row, we'd just go over to the river and we would, we would just kind of meander down the river all afternoon. And so this one day it was particularly hot and we'd been floating for a couple of hours And we we decided to stop for lunch. We had packed a lunch with us. And so we stop at this little kind of rocky kind of um, shore uh, bank uh, in the shore that kind of comes out there in the middle of the river. And we we sat down and we ate our lunch. And when we're done eating our lunch, Sydney and I and two of our our sons, we we got in the water there. It was about knee deep and and just kind of sat and we're cooling off. And our other son was about 15 feet away, just upstream uh, from us. And I'm not gonna tell you his name for two reasons. Um, One is I don't wanna embarrass him. Uh, The second reason is my sons have started charging me money every time I use their name in a sermon, and (laughs) that gets really expensive. My son's here. He can testify to this. And and so I just thought, man, until we work out the royalty situation, I'm just going to go anonymous on the names. And... uh, and we'll see how that goes. So I was in the water with two of my sons. My other son was just 15 feet up the, the shore from us, and we're, we're talking, and all of a sudden, I just hear this very familiar sound. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a trickle that becomes like a waterfall, and I look up, and my son is just upstream from us, just peeing in the water, and, and I'm, I'm like, whoa. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm not peeing on you, and I'm like, don't you know how a river works? Like, like, the water's moving, and, and where you are right now is now washing on us. Like, it's like coming, coming downstream, and then immediately he just begins to see what's happening. He just starts laughing. He's like, Dad, is the water getting warmer? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, thanks for nothing. And so then we, um, then we started, uh, got back in the water, and as the day would go on, our boys would, hey, hey Dad, is, is the water getting warmer? It's getting warmer, and it's this moment where they were beginning to, to recognize the way that a river works, and that is where you are eventually is going to be right where someone else already is, right? The river is moving, things are moving, and it's not just with a river, it's, it's with life, right? that the, the choices you make today affect the people that are going to be living in your downstream tomorrow, whether you think about that or not. The things that you do or don't do are gonna affect the marriage that you're in or maybe that you haven't even yet entered into. The things that you choose to do are gonna affect your future kids, gonna affect your future spouse, gonna affect your future employer. Like, Like everybody, whether or not you realize this, everybody is living in somebody's downstream for the good or the bad, and someone is living in yours for the good or the bad. And I think there's this this tendency sometimes for us to to think about that and to think about it through the context of negativity, to think about, man, okay, my my bad choices are gonna go downstream, they're gonna affect the next generation, but I love it in the kingdom of God that reality works also in the positive. I love what God said to the Israelites. He looked at them and he said, hey, the sins of the fathers are gonna go down to the third and fourth generation. And sometimes I read that and, man, that's so depressing because I think about the way that my sin and my choices are gonna affect those down the line. But in the very same verse, do you know what the Lord said to Israel? He said, He said, your sin is gonna travel for three or four generations, but your faithfulness is gonna travel for a thousand generations. And man, there's this tendency within our broken human hearts to hold on to the sin that travels three or four, but to forget that the faithfulness travels a thousand generations. And here's the reality. If you're here today as a follower of Jesus, you are living in the downstream of somebody else's goodness, somebody else's faithfulness, somebody else's generosity, somebody else's service, whether you realize it or not. That none of you came to this place of faith on your own. None of you are coming to this place of faith on your own. Maybe it happened through that coach who was courageous enough when you are in ninth grade to see something in you and to begin having conversations of faith when nobody at home knew how to talk about those things. You're here today living in the downstream of his faith. Or, or, or maybe it's that single mom that drug you and your, your siblings to church every Sunday even though you didn't wanna go. Or maybe it was a friend in college that was willing to listen as you were wrestling with the hard questions that everybody else was running from. The reality is none of us got where we are on our own. We're living in somebody else's downstream. And the truth is somebody else is gonna live in yours as well. here's what I've been wrestling with as I think about our birthday. You know, We reflect back and we look forward. I go, oh, man, God, is it possible that this beautiful community that we're standing in called Ethos Church, what if this thing is not about you? And what if it's not about me? What if it's not just about this one moment in human history? What if it's not just about the city? What if, what if the greatest stuff that God is gonna do through the legacy of our church actually is 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 100 years down the road? What if the greatest miracles in the kingdom of God spring up in the downstream of your life? Will we we become the kind of people that can allow our lives to be rooted in something bigger than just the moment that we're in? And so this morning, that's what I want us to wrestle with from Ezekiel 47, is what does it look like to be rooted in a God-sized dream, a story that's bigger than yourself? And I love this this moment in Ezekiel because it starts out, if you don't know anything about the book, if you don't know anything about Ezekiel, it starts out in this really kind of depressing moment. You know, Ezekiel had, had been living in the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is overrun by this foreign army, he's taken into captivity, and all of a sudden he finds himself in a place that he didn't wanna be. Maybe that's your story this morning. Maybe you've found yourself in a situation that you wish you weren't in, in a, in a moment that you didn't wanna be in. And Ezekiel finds himself in this moment that he didn't wanna be in, and the, the book opens up where he's just turned 30 years old, it's his birthday, and he's in a refugee camp in the country of Babylon. He's utterly depressed, but it says it's there in this moment that he doesn't want to be in. He has this vision of God. And the rest of the book is the record of six of these visions that God is going to give Ezekiel over the course of about 22 years. And one of my favorite visions is the one that we're going to read out of chapter 47 this morning. Look at it in the word with me. It'll also be up on the screens if you don't have a Bible. This is what it says. It says, the man or the angel brought me back to the entrance of the temple And it was there that I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. And then he brought me out through the north gate. He led me around to the outside, to the outer gate facing east, and the water, listen to this, the water was trickling from the south side. I love the way that this vision begins. He's in this place of despair, He's depressed, he's frustrated. God shows up and gives him this vision. And the beginning of the vision is not very encouraging. God gives him this vision of what's going on in the temple. It's kind of representative of the people of God. And what was going on in the people of God didn't seem like much to write home about. There's no huge revival. There's no tongues of fire. There's no raging river to represent the presence of God. He says, hey, let me show you, Ezekiel, what's going on in the temple and what was going on in the temple. Just a trickle, just a trickle. Not very much, at least from his perspective. It keeps going to verse three. It says, but as the man led me eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. That's about five football fields. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. And then he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. And then he measured off another thousand and he led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see what's happening? He says, do you see this? He says, I wanna show you. He says, there's this little trickle that was beginning in the temple and it's beginning to grow. He keeps going, verse seven. says, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river and he said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region. It goes down into the Araba, which was the desert where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. Listen to this. So where the river flows, everything will what? Help me out, church. Everything will? Come on, help me out. Everything will? It says everything will live. Verse 10, fishermen will stand along the shore from En to In Aglium. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. The last verse, verse 12, and the fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit. I love this, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Why do they bear fruit? Because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. The fruit will serve for food and their leaves for the healing of the nations. This is the word of God out of Ezekiel chapter 47, verses one through 12. And there's all this stuff that we can explore. In fact, I've taught on this passage of scripture before. And every time I see it, I just see things that I've never seen, but just a couple of things that I want want us to notice this morning as we think about the moment that God has us standing in as we think about what's getting ready to come. And here's what I want you to notice is when you find yourself standing in a God-sized dream, so often those God-sized dreams start really small. Sometimes the biggest things in the kingdom of God have really, really small beginnings. I love thinking about the way that this works in the natural world. Can you imagine, what it would have been like the first time LeBron James touched a basketball. You know, he's like 18 months old. You know, he's at a family picnic. I'm just imagining with me, you know, they're trying to to just keep him entertained and somebody rolls him a basketball. And here's the reality. Nobody noticed that moment, why? Because nobody had any idea where that story was gonna end up. If they knew where the story would end, they would have paid attention to the moment that it started. But nobody noticed when it began because nobody knew where it was gonna go and so there's this moment, just this small little moment, this kid playing with a basketball and one day he's gonna change the way we understand the game. They have no idea the greatest stories often have the smallest beginnings. Think about that with Steve Jobs. What would that have been like the first time somebody introduced him to a computer? (laughs) They walk him in, hey, here's a keyboard. (laughs) Here's how you turn it on. Like If they knew where the story would go They would have noticed at the beginning, but here's the deal, so often uh, the greatest stories begin in such small, unnoticeable ways that you literally don't notice them. And here's what I'm convinced is the greatest stories that God is writing in your life right now, the beginnings are probably already bubbling up to the surface and you don't even know it because the biggest stories of God start in the smallest of ways. I love thinking about the way you see this in scripture. You think about every great story. It often begun in a really small way. You know, Abraham and Sarah, they would become the spiritual parents of this huge movement that Jesus would come through. And how did their story begin? It began with God showing up and saying, hey, it's finally time for you to move out of your parents' basement. You know, 75 years old, like, get out of the house. Some of you, maybe that's the only word from the Lord you need to hear today. Get out of the house, you know, and, and it just seemed like a small decision. We're gonna move. Got on Craigslist, look for a new spot. Like, And all of a sudden, it becomes the thing that God uses to launch them into a story bigger than they can imagine. Or think about Moses. Remember Moses' story. You get to Exodus chapter three, he's 80 years old. He's squandered his position. He's squandered his his inheritance, as we understood. He's not where you think he should be if he's gonna make a difference. He's 80 years old. He's walking through the far side of a desert, married to a woman that is the daughter of a pagan priest. It seems like he's forfeited everything. And it says he goes on a walk and God gets his attention on that walk. He sees a bush that's on fire and he goes, huh, that's unusual. I should go investigate that. <laughs> I go this small beginning, a small start, this, this moment where he goes on a walk. He, Man, what is that? And God uses it to liberate a people group. Or think about David. Do you remember David's story? Do you remember what David was doing before David killed Goliath? Like David wasn't even in the army. He wasn't even at the battlefield. Where was David? David was at home with his family and his dad sent David to take lunch to his brothers on the battlefield. David was delivering Postmates. That was his job. Like he, he shows up this small beginning here to deliver lunch and God uses it to launch him into this larger than life moment. Or Esther... What did Esther do to liberate the people? Man, she had the courage to step into the throne room when nobody else had the courage to walk in. Just one small step. It became this moment of gigantic proportion. Or Jesus shows up to change the world. And he doesn't raise up an army, but he picks 12 friends. He says, I'm gonna use you. Guys, the, the, in the kingdom of God, The biggest stories almost always have the smallest beginnings, and the reality is sometimes they're so small you don't even have the ability to see it. Man, I wonder what God is doing in this room right now. (laughs) Let me make it 11 years ago. Everybody's like, man, when Ethos got started, did you know it was gonna become like this? I'm like, no, no clue. We thought we were starting a Bible study for a few of our friends that didn't know Jesus. Never preached before, never done any of this stuff. We started this little Bible study and man, it just, God just starts doing something. Small beginnings. I think about the night that we filled up our house. We're like, we got to move out of our house to a public space, and so we, we rented out Frothy Monkey before Frothy Monkey was like a cool place to be, and and uh, I remember we were there for three weeks because we could only afford to be there for three weeks. We ran out of money and had to move from Frothy Monkey to a park and, and I remember we moved into the park and all of a sudden we went from like 20 people to like 40 people and we're like, we're a megachurch. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, look what God's doing. You can't stop us, you know. And, and just those, those days, the small beginnings. And people would show up and they're like, yeah, this doesn't look like much. Some of you are here today and it's your first day. You're like, this doesn't look like much. I'm like, you should have seen us 11 years ago. It was even worse. (laughs) Just small beginnings, small beginnings. But God delights to start things small. I love Zechariah 4, verse 10. He says, do not despise the day of small beginnings because the Lord loves to see the work begin. So often the biggest stories are beginning in the smallest places. Guys, do you realize that maybe the most significant thing happening in Ethos Church is being birthed in the heart of a child getting their diaper changed right now in the nursery? Who knows what God is doing in our midst? It's the small beginnings. It's the small things. Uh, One of my favorite stories is the story of Susanna Wesley. Maybe you know her story. She lived in the late 1600s, early 1700s, had a tragic life in so many ways. She and her husband had 19 children, nine of them died as toddlers. Her husband was absent for the majority of their marriage, in and out of prison, would leave the family at different times. But this woman was just a devoted follower of Jesus and she was convinced that God had put her on earth to disciple her children. And her kids would go on to tell these stories of Susanna Wesley sitting in their little house, and she'd put this blanket over her head, and the kids knew, I mean, like, they knew when mama put the blanket over the head, like, you don't talk to mama, like, maybe this is a strategy some of you moms need to implore, you know, she'd put this blanket over her head in their one-room house, she couldn't escape the kids, and she would just every morning pray over those children, one by one by one by one, that God would do something in their life. Two of those kids, uh, John and Charles would grow up to lead one of the greatest revivals the world has ever seen, and... You cannot be a follower of Jesus in America without your story having been touched by the fingerprints of what they did in our country years ago. And I go, man, when she was sitting in that rocking chair in that small room with the blanket over her head, praying for her kids, was she thinking about any of you? Absolutely not. (laughs) But you were in the downline of her faith. You were in the downstream of her faith. And what God was doing was much bigger than the smallness of the moment that she found herself in. For some of you, that's, that's the story. You're in a moment and it's just a moment of, it feels like small faithfulness. You go, man, uh, all I can do is walk with integrity in my relationships. All I can do is give a little money. All I can do is serve a little. All I can do is change my kids' diapers and feed them Cheerios in the morning. It's all I can do. And I go, man, don't despise the small beginnings because God's doing immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. They're dreams that God has put on your heart, <laughs> Right now, they feel like a mustard seed, and God's gonna use them to launch a movement. You release that song this week on Spotify, and every hour, you're checking to see how many people have listened, and it's still just 11 people. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel like you're here with a shadow dream, but you have no idea that one of those 11 people is some kid in North Dakota that heard the message, and God has done something in your heart, and you'll never see the other side of it. Guys, the biggest dreams in the kingdom so often have the smallest beginnings. And I love this moment. Verse two, God walks Ezekiel to the temple, and he says, I want you to see what's happening. What do you see? And he says, I just see a trickle. So I just see a trickle, I don't see much. But it keeps going like this. I love verse eight. It says, but then he said to me, the water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, the desert, where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. And so the God-sized dreams, they, they often start in small places. The second thing I want you to notice is that God-sized dreams don't just start small, they tend to flow low. They flow low, and here's what I mean by this, is when God is behind something, it may start in the temple, but it never stays there. It may start among the people of God, but it never stays there. When, when God is behind it, it may start in the high places, but it flows to the low places. And here's what's so beautiful to me, as the the vision goes on, Ezekiel sees that the the river, which represents the presence and the power of God, he sees that the river is growing as it's moving to the low places. He said, I saw the river, and it's ankle deep and knee deep and waist deep, and then I couldn't swim across it, and then it entered into the desert and down into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, if you know anything about geography, it's the lowest place on earth. Everything flows to it, but nothing can flow out of it. The water is eight times saltier than the ocean, so virtually nothing can live there. And I love what God says. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to notice this, this thing that feels so small and embarrassing and unimportant, these simple prayers, these simple steps of faith, he says, they they don't stay in the temple. They're flowing into the low places around you. And wherever they flow, things are beginning to change. Here's how you know if God is in something, or this is one of the ways you know that God is in something, is when you begin to recognize that God has this magnetic pull towards those that are in low places. It's just the heart of God. Like when your friend shows up and says, man, I feel feel called by God to do something and and they describe something that you would never wanna do, there's a good chance that maybe God is behind the dream. (laughs) If your friend shows up and says, man, like God's been speaking to me about moving into this neighborhood and serving these kids and if you look at that neighborhood and go, man, I don't wanna drive through it, much less live in it. Like if you have one of those moments, man, chances are God's behind it. There's this tendency for God to to bubble up these small things, but for these small things to never stay contained amongst the people of God. They flow to the low places. They begin to serve the people that need it the most. And guys, I think about the way I see this. We could spend the rest of the day just telling stories that I see in our church. It's so amazing the way that I see. I think about Drew and Mary, who are part of our our church. And God just, he put this, this small little question, this burden, this moment in their heart years ago, they began to recognize that there are people right here in our city, not too far from us, that have just been decimated by the pain of human trafficking. And God just began putting that question. All of a sudden, God began to move Mary and Drew from the high places to the low places. Why? Because that's the way the river of God always flows. Something was bubbling up in them as they gathered with the people of God, but it kept pushing them to the places that nobody wanted to go. And I'm just telling you, if you wanna see revival in the city of Nashville, you show up sometime down on the place uh, on Murfreesboro Road that a lot of people on the streets refer to as the, mi- the misery mile. Because I'm convinced one day it'll no longer be the misery mile, it'll be the miracle mile because God's gonna do a measure be more than they can ask or imagine because things start small. and They flow low. We're thinking about our friends Ty and Dolly who years ago just thought, man, God, would you just give us one family every year? Just one family that we can serve, that we can love, that we can care for, that we can walk with. And they just made this commitment. They thought, man, what would happen if we literally just gave our our, each year to walking with one family? And it's amazing watching what God does as he takes them from the high places into the low places of people's life. He's doing amazing work. Think about my friend who works on Wall Street and every day he's sitting down face to face with men and women who are making more money than they know what to do with, but they're bankrupting their marriages. They're shipwrecking their families. And my friend has the opportunity to flow into the low places of their lives and to speak the hope of the gospel there. I, guys, this is, this is what God does, <laughs> This is what God does. He he gives dreams and he gives desires and he gives longings and he gives thoughts and a lot of times those things feel so small, the beginnings are so small, but what starts small always flows to the low places and as you go to the low places, you see the presence of God growing. It starts small. It flows low to the places of brokenness. Third thing that I noticed is wherever the presence of God goes through his people, it brings life. Here's how you know you're standing in a God-sized dream is, man, it it brings life to the people around you. It stirs something up in the people around you. I love verse 12. It says, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, listen, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. The fruit will serve for food and their leaves for the healing of the nations. I love this, like God-sized dreams don't just start small. They don't just flow low, but they bring life wherever they go. I was having dinner with a good friend of mine recently who's been serving in this city for more than 60 years. And he he gave one of the best compliments to you all that I know how to give. It's just one of the most beautiful things anybody could say about Ethos Church. He said, every time I show up in a place of pain or brokenness or need in the city, he said, I find people from Ethos Church they're serving. And he said, and whenever I'm around them, man, they just bring so much life. And he gave this image, I didn't even know I was gonna be preaching on this, he just gave, he gave this image, he said, ethos is like this, this river of fresh water and wherever your people, the people of your church flow, they just bring life. And I thought, man, thank God he met the good ones, right? Like, it's like, but it's like man, what, what an encouragement. What an encouragement. He's recognizing what, what God told Ezekiel to be true is true so often it's so small you can't notice it and it flows into these places that you can't see and it just feels like a moment of just simple faithfulness, simple obedience. You just gave a dollar. You just gave an hour to serve. You just prayed a prayer. You have no idea what God is doing in the downstream of your life. Man, will your bad habits follow you for a generation or two? Yeah, potentially. But will your faithfulness go for a thousand? That's the promise of God. And what God is gonna do in the downstream of your life is gonna be so big, you'll never be able to notice it or imagine it. I <laughs> think the way that this works. I've just seen this over and over. I'll just give a couple of stories. Earlier this year, if you're a part of our church family, you know, with churches all over the city, we prayed and fasted together for every person in the city by name. And then we wrote handwritten notes to, to people letting them know how loved they were. And I, I got an email about a week ago from a lady that's never been to our church. And she said, hey, I just wanna share this story. I'm just gonna read it to you. This story just blew me away. This is is her story. Her name's Christy. She She says, October 22nd was an amazing day. It was the happy due date of our little miracle baby. His name is Aiden, but we've given him the nickname Miracle Baby, not by chance, but because he has truly been a miracle of God. She says, the morning of February 7th, 2019, so that was about two weeks into our time of prayer and fasting together. She says, on that morning, we found out that we were pregnant. And a few weeks later, on February 25th, which was two days after our fast ended, she said I started spotting, and then I was sent in for an ultrasound where I was told I had a blighted ovum, that my gestational sac in my gestational sac, and that there was no baby being formed. The sack was empty. The labs confirmed my numbers were low and not rising accordingly. They told me I had miscarried, and I just needed to sit and wait for the inevitable. We scheduled a DNC, and we went home devastated. said, the very next day, after receiving this awful news, we received a postcard and a mail from a person at your church who we've never met. He told us that he'd been praying for our family over the last month about the miraculous things that God was about to do and had done, and he hoped that God would move in our lives in an amazing way. Postcard encouraged me, it came at the exact right moment, the moment that I needed a reminder of what God was doing in my life despite the impending loss. On March 4th, we went to the doctor for our scheduled DNC. I still had a miscarriage, at least as I understood it to be, but I was devastated. They sent me in for one final ultrasound and the technician said that this was just a routine procedure. She had read my file and they do, this, they do this before they remove a failed pregnancy. I refused to look at the ultrasound screen, tears in my eyes as I lay there. It seemed like such a cruel thing to have to go through a moment like this. And then the tech asked me to look up at the screen and I'll never forget her mo- that moment or her words. She said, I know you came in assuming bad news, but what I see is a healthy baby. And there he was on the screen, my little miracle baby. His heart was flickering. My doctor was in complete shock too. She said in her whole career, she'd only had heard of one other story of this ever happening. And she said, without a doubt, this is a miracle from God. Our miracle baby continued to live up to his nickname. He survived through a major hemorrhage in my uterus for 19 weeks. He stayed put in my belly for three weeks after my my water broke. He was born healthy and was discharged from the NICU after 13 days, even though he came seven weeks early. My thoughts as I come back to those prayers and that postcard from the person in your church is I realize this man is a man I may never know. He had no idea what he was praying for or what I was going through. But I'm convinced that the miracle is not just about my son's birth, but about what God is gonna do in his life. God is gonna use them in amazing ways and I thank you for the way that your prayers are playing a part in our family's story. She goes on and says a little bit more and I go, man, I think about those those moments. It just feels so small, like praying for strangers. Praying for strangers, you have no idea what God's doing. Those moments, they're so small, just just serving that, that, that person at your work that drives you crazy. You have no idea what God's doing. The the, the small moments where you serve your kids or your roommates or you keep walking in faithfulness even though your spouse doesn't wanna show up with you or you keep praying for your kids even though they're not walking with Jesus yet, you just keep showing up in the small things and the small things and the small things. But guys, God delights, God delights in small beginnings because in the end, only he can get the credit. And what starts small and flows low always brings life wherever it goes. Think about the way a small friendship a few years ago with a guy from India named Pius has totally changed the way that we as a church understand church and our our role in the world. And every year we take up an offering for what's happening in India, for Pius and Sharbani and the amazing ministry, and this one little friendship has given way to this incredible partnership in the kingdom and we've watched God do immeasurably more through them than we could have ever asked or imagined. They've started nine churches and multiple orphanages and every single day, I don't know if you realize this, every single day you're a part of helping them feed more than 600 children that wouldn't have food if it weren't for you and your generosity. And sometimes that little plate just passes by, and it feels so small, just, just a moment, small beginning or you pray for him. it feels like a small beginning. And God uses those small beginnings to flow into the low places, and he brings life wherever he goes. And here's the reality, is it feels like a miracle that we get to be a part of those kids' stories, but here's, here's what I'm convinced of, is that the greatest miracle is gonna be in their downstream. That the miracle is not just the orphanage, or the meals, or the church, it's gonna be in the generations of faith, they're gonna spring up after another. Think about our friend James in Uganda. A few years ago, there are a few women in our church just sitting here, just like you, sitting in our church. And they felt burdened by God for the people of northern Uganda. They felt burdened because of the war that had devastated the country. And so they started sneaking into the country, uh, doing something that their parents did not approve of in any way, but they would, they would go in just a small, small little burden that was in their heart. And they met James when they were in Uganda started pouring into James and walking with James and investing in James and helping serve James. And James has become one of our partners over the last 13 years. James has planted more than 15 churches, but one of the things that's so beautiful is over the last couple of years, through your partnership and my partnership and our service and our help, he's helped train more than 1,000 pastors in northern Uganda. I don't know if you think about that when you come and sit in a place like this and you worship and you serve and you give and you pray, and it feels so small and it feels so ordinary, but the miracle is almost always in the downstream. You tell story after story after story. I wonder what God's trying to do in those conversations you've been having with your roommate in this season. I wonder what God's gonna do through those children that you're raising. I wonder what God is trying to do in your workspace or through that passion project that you just began. It's small beginnings that go to low places, that bring life wherever they go, and in the end, only Jesus gets the glory. And it's just the way he works. And I think sometimes there's this temptation, like my son when he was standing in the river, to forget that the moment we're in isn't just about us, but it's always flowing towards someone else. And and we get to decide, man, what's it gonna be like for those that are coming after us? Like, what, what if, what if the best thing that happens at Ethos Church doesn't happen in our lifetime, but it happens 100 years after we die? What if all of this isn't about you, but it's about the generation that's coming? Man, what might God choose to do? He loves the small beginnings. When he wanted to redeem humanity, he didn't send an army, but he sent a baby to be raised by unwed parents in a small town. Not even born in a hospital, but in a stable behind a house where there was no room for them in it. For 30 years, he lived in total obscurity off the radar of everybody, he never traveled more than 60 miles from the place he was born, never had a picture taken of him, never wrote a book, never, never recorded a song. Like, and yet his fingerprints are in all of creation. Isn't it like God to start small? Isn't it crazy to think that God would start a revolution in the human heart when his son Jesus would literally stretch out his arms and be fastened to a tree that he spoke into existence for your sins and my sins and the sins of all humanity? What felt like just such a small moment outside of a small city in a small moment in time has become the moment to define all moments, including yours including mine. And I go, man, what might God be doing? And so as we come to another birthday, we just wanna recognize, okay, God, we're here because of your faithfulness to others towards us. And Lord, might you choose to use us in a similar way for the sake of those that are coming behind us. And there's all kinds of ways that we can participate. Here in just a moment, we're gonna take up a special offering, 100% of it's gonna go, go to our global partners. After the offering, we're gonna take communion together and receive prayer together. You know, uh, I'm just being serious about this. Man, maybe the most dangerous place in our church on any given Sunday is that prayer banner. If you want your life to stay exactly as it is, don't let anybody pray for you. If you want God to do something amazing, even if you don't see it in the moment because it's so small, show up and let somebody lay hands on you and pray over you. Maybe it's a small dream that needs to be fanned into flame. Maybe it needs to be prayed over. We're gonna have a chance to be prayed over. Man, God's gonna do something through that. For some of you, it's giving your life to Jesus today, showing up on Wednesday night and getting baptized, uh, whatever it may be. Maybe you can't take every step today, but you can take some step. You can take some step. So I wanna invite you to stand up with me, and I'm gonna pray over us. And then I'm gonna give us some instructions for the offering and how that's gonna work, and then after our offering, I'm gonna send us to communion and to prayer, and we're gonna end our morning in worship. Father, I love you. I thank you that you're God of small beginnings. God, I thank you that you are are, are drawn to the low places in our own lives and that you then take us into the low places of the world around us. God, I'm thankful for the way that you've brought life to so many in here, that you're bringing life this morning, even right now as I speak, and the way that you're going to bring life to others through us. God, use us. God, as as we give of our money, as we give of our time, as we give of ourselves, we just just acknowledge that all of this is from you, and so we're just giving it back to you for your glory and the good of those that are around us. Uh, Lord, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Amen.